You're listening to the That's My Financial Guy podcast, where we talk about life, love, the funny, and of course, money. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I am your host, Brian Haney with The Haney Company, and I am super excited to have Elsa Nicky with me, somebody who I met, let's see, would it be about almost a year ago when we got to go to Fin, the last time we could go to some kind of a conference in person. Uh, that was a ton of fun. So thanks for being on today. Thanks for having me. You know, I keep saying I didn't think I would ever miss networking, but I really miss networking, actually. I can't wait <laughs> yeah. till we can go networking again. Oh my gosh, I, I'm 100% with you. Yeah, it, you know, seeing all the things that were on the calendar now get pulled off and, you know, virtual is great, but I, yeah. It's I'm not like, the same. I miss people, for sure. I agree, totally. So, um, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna go with the hardest questions that I ask everybody. So I'm sure you, you put a lot of head time into this. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would you live? I would live in a cabin in the woods someplace. And as long as I have internet, I, I, I tell myself that I would love that lifestyle, but I don't actually know if I would. So if I could live there for a year and test it out, I think that would be amazing. What, so what appeals to you about that dynamic? You know, I live in Phoenix now, which is in the desert, but I'm from Michigan originally. And so there's something about being in the woods or around tall trees. You know, we don't really have those here in Phoenix. It's very brown. I miss green. Um, I feel very grounded when I'm in nature. I love being outside. Like if I, I imagine if I had a cabin, I would literally take my computer outside and work from outside, you know? Um, so I don't see myself not working in a cabin. I actually just see myself maybe feeling more grounded and surrounded by nature. There's just something that feels very serene about that. I love it. You know, my daughter has, she shares with us a lot of the same things that you described. So I, I, there's a kindred spirit in our family. So I, I like that. (laughs) That's great. And and, honestly, I think it's a first. I don't know that that I've heard somebody describe that as their ideal place. So a win for a first on on the show. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. All right. This one's tough. What food will you not eat under any circumstance? This is so easy for me and people, you're going to get like hate messages when I say this, just so you know. (laughs) My answer is cilantro. I despise the smell of cilantro. I cannot stand the taste of it. And I read someplace that there's actually a gene that I probably have, that there's like a small percentage of people who have some gene that makes cilantro like atrocious. And that's exactly how I think of cilantro, but most people love it. I just cannot even stand the smell of it. Wow, the cilantro gene, okay. (laughs) I know, isn't that crazy? Well, you know, I think that's that's probably a close tie with I had another guess that uh, avocados for him weren't a thing. And it was like, oh. I, I had the same reaction. I was like, wait, what? Like, no, I love, yeah, I love avocado. Yeah. But that's how when, when, you know, most people love cilantro. My husband loves it. I just can't. I know everyone loves Chipotle, but every time I go to Chipotle, like cilantro is in everything there. So I've had a hard time finding something that doesn't have that nasty flavor to me. Interesting. <laughs> All right, two, two new answers. We're, we're just going to keep it rolling. I like this. All right. Mm-hmm. What celebrity would you want to have dinner with? And it can be alive or dead. Okay. 
Um, this, I don't know if he would have been as considered a celebrity like years ago, but he is becoming more of a celebrity now. Brian Stevenson, he is the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, the movie or the book, Just Mercy, the movie just came out about the book, that kind of thing. So that's why I say, I think he's becoming more of a celebrity now, but he is, you know, the mastermind behind the, um, the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama. He's fought and won more cases at the Supreme Court court level than almost any attorney. I just feel like he is a hero walking amongst us right now in our world. And I think, let's say a hundred years from now, the stories about Brian Stevenson will be massive. And we're just, so many people don't even know the name and it sort of breaks my heart. And I would just sit down with him and have so many great questions for him. And I, he's such a humble guy and yet he's so strong and firm with what he does. And I just love him. So Brian Stevenson. Awesome. No, great. I, yeah. I mean, I don't think I could come up with a better answer. That's good. <laughs> Fantastic. And yeah, that's a, that movie is one that I think is on the list for me and for our family. So uh, if you've seen it, no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. And I, I definitely recommend the book. First of all, okay. um, he's got some amazing TED talks as well, or just videos. If you search his name on YouTube, he's got some videos that I feel are incredibly impactful. So I actually... Uh, heard about him years ago. I saw him present. This was before I feel like he really had a big name. The Legacy Museum wasn't even created yet. It was just sort of in the idea phase and all of that. And I, he changed my world. He changed my view on incarcerations and the prison system and racism and just kind of like my brain exploded. And, uh, and he's so uh, loving and caring and yet strong and firm and assertive all at the same time. And I find that that's such a strong balance to have in people. It's just something that I really respect. That's awesome. That's great. I love it. All right. Besides this one, of course, what <laughs> podcast do you like the most that you would recommend to listeners? Okay. Besides yours and besides mine, right? <laughs> oh, yours, yours, yours is a good one. I like, I like that. Um, no, I'm just teasing. So actually, I love Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us. I just feel like I could binge that one. Um, so I think she's just such a thought leader. And I really, I always learn something. I always feel like there's more that I could understand about her podcast episodes. And so I just really, and yet they're playful and fun too. So I just really like that about them. She's good. She's got a good communication style that I think draws a lot of people in. It's very easy to listen to. I like that. Exactly. I love her storytelling abilities. You know, yeah. she tells stories that are so, um, it's like something every day that we all experience, but you don't think anything of it. And then she kind of tells you a story about it and you realize like, oh my God, is she in my head? You know? So <laughs> little stuff like that. I think she's a really great storyteller. Well put. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, time to talk about you. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've been uh, doing what you do for a little while. So what's, what's your story? How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I am the founder of a financial coaching company called Fiscal Fitness, and I founded that over 10 years ago, and I've been on a mission to take the stress out of money since middle school, actually. So I witnessed my mom filing bankruptcy, and of course, as a middle schooler, I didn't understand what bankruptcy meant. I didn't know anything about the ins and outs of it. I just learned at a very young age that money affects our life and it can either affect it in a really good way or it can affect it in a bad way, but it's sort of like the game we're all forced to play. And so let's be good at it, you know? And 
it wasn't for lack of trying. My mom worked really hard. She had a great job. She would sit at the dining room table for hours trying to figure out what to do. And she just didn't know how to do it. She just didn't know have the right tools. She didn't have the right strategies. And um, I just remember that being a very big source of stress for her in her life. And I went to school, got a degree in finance, thought I was going to be a financial advisor and like help people with their money. And this was, you know, over 15 years ago. And at the time, fee-based financial planning really wasn't a thing back then. It was, you know, 100% commission. And I, the clients who would come in and say, I need help getting out of debt, I'd say, yes, let's spend two hours helping you get out of debt. But then I, of course, wouldn't get paid for that. But then the clients who needed help with asset allocation and stuff, you know, I'd get paid, but I sort of like didn't enjoy it. <laughs> and so I had a midlife crisis and just sort of told myself like a job is just a job. You don't have to love it. You just have to be good at it. So I went to corporate finance and, and it was actually at that time that I started just helping people on the side with budgeting. Just, Hey, come over after work. I'll see what I can do to help you. If they were complaining, you know, in the break room or something and uh, slowly, but surely it started to get busier and busier and all day um, on Saturday, I'd be sitting at my home helping people because it just got busier and uh, said to my husband one day, I think I, I think this is what I meant to do, was meant to do when I became a financial advisor. I think this was it, but I didn't know what financial coaching was, had never heard of it, didn't know any other financial coaches. And so I just told my husband, I think I should try this. I think this is something I should, you know, attempt to do as a living. And we, at the time, had like a plan B and a plan C as far as like, if I do this and I fail at it, here's what we'll do next, right? And that was over 10 years ago. And Fiscal Fitness now, you know, we've helped over a thousand people just manage their money better, you know, get better at the day-to-day -day part of their finances. So I, and I, and I love that. And, and I didn't know about your mom's story. Um, and I, and I, and I, I mean, you and I were talking a little bit before we even started the show. I, I identify with so much of what you saw firsthand and what I know you see on a regular basis um, in terms of just, yeah, I, I mean, money is the number one reasons that, you know, couples fight, get divorced, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's a significant thing. And yet it's usually not for lack of energy or effort. Yes. Right. We can all, you know, I think I have, I have yet to meet the person that says, eh, I don't, I don't care what happens to my money. I've yet to meet that person. Like I, everybody, and I totally yeah. agree. I think there's so much shame around money, but I feel like yeah. for most people, they don't, they don't say, Hmm, this is a terrible idea. I definitely should not buy this. This is going to make it so I can't <laughs> afford my car payment later, but I'm going to do it anyway. Most people don't do that. Most people, it's like, I have the money. I think this is going to be okay. I don't see the impact of this decision in the future yet. So I'm going to make it. And then later they regret it. And that's when they start beating themselves up and that sort of thing. It is like the pattern and the flow of money is just such that people can't see into the future. Right. And that's what causes that buyer's remorse or regret and the shame around money. Unfortunately, that's what it was for my mom. I can just remember little things going out to eat or, you know, going to the movies. And I could just tell that she wasn't fully present in those moments because I, I know, I know now that she was probably thinking, I hope this is okay. I hope that this doesn't make it so that I, you know, if my car breaks down tomorrow, I'm not in trouble or something like that. I just know that she had that constant worry and didn't know how to get ahead of it. So. No, I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I think, 
and you and you probably have framed two things that we, I'm sure we both see a lot of, which is number one, a lot of what influences our framework for money comes from our family and good, bad or otherwise, that's not always the most effective place to start because especially like you identified, there might, you, you know, if your parents just didn't have enough equipping of their own, then it's very hard for that to naturally flow down to the next generation. And then I think, you know, something that I've seen a lot, um, certainly looking across the education landscape is that, there, you know, some of these basic fundamental building blocks that, you know, are necessary foundational pieces for financial freedom and wellness, they're not really taught. It's kind of like, you know, we, we have, you know, macroeconomics and, the, you know, we can come out with a business degree in business and yet not even understand how a budget and cash flow works. So it's, I think that that's the other part that that's probably frustrating to a lot of people is that if they're interested in finding tools, they're just not readily available through an education system that you would think, you know, might have some of that. So, yeah. And I think, you know, you can go down the rabbit hole. It can be really overwhelming. There's so much personal finance advice out there and you don't know what's going to work for you and what's not going to work for you. Um, I think it's also really easy to overcorrect based on what you saw growing up. So like, it would have been really easy for me to say, well, my mom struggled with money and she filed bankruptcy. So I'm going to overcorrect and save every dollar and never enjoy my money to make it so that I prevent that from happening to me. Also, I think money is a lifelong journey. And so as soon as you learn something new and you sort of get a grip on it with your, how that's going to work for your, you and your life, you actually need to learn the next thing. And then as soon as you learn that, you need to learn the next thing. And through your whole life, there can be some of those lessons that are really easy. And you're like, oh, I got this one. This one was super easy for me to pick up. And then the next one could actually be really challenging. You know, it can be really hard or it doesn't seem easy or you stumble first. Some of the best or most downloaded episodes on our podcast, um, it's me and then Jill, one of our coaches, and then Jacqueline, one of our other coaches, we all did episodes on what our top five money mistakes have been in our life. And people assume because I'm a financial you know, professional that my journey with money has been perfect, but that's the wrong philosophy to have. It will never be perfect, right? If we go into it thinking we're going to be perfect with money, we're actually setting ourselves up for failure. So it's the idea is like, are you going into it making the decision the right way for you? And are you protecting yourself so that if it goes wrong, it's not the end of the world or you're not putting all your eggs in one basket or something like that? And are you learning from it and growing and becoming better for your future based on the mistake? No, I love that framework, and and I and I love the 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 brand dynamic, fiscal fitness. <laughs> so, so talk about that, because I mean, I first of all, as as a small aside, I I did have a brief career as a as a personal trainer. So there's so I have a bit of a fitness fanatic in me as well. So, but I but I I really do I love the dynamic of you know financial wellness and and being fiscally fit. So talk about that and you know, how that applies. And, and frankly, how did you come up with that, you know, as the brand? Uh, so two things. Um, the first is it w when the business first launched and still till this day, you know, health and fitness is a big, important part of my life, my husband's life. I um, taught my job in college actually was that I was an aerobics instructor, taught uh, step aerobics, go figure, uh, leg warmers and all. And uh, 
so fitness was a big part of my life. And then I graduated. Uh, I was a level one CrossFit certified um, trainer. That So it was just a really big part of my life at the time. And my husband actually came up with the name. I said I wanted it to be something fitness related and finances. And he's the one that came up with fiscal fitness. So I have to give him credit, unfortunately, I guess. Um, but then second, I will say that the correlation between how you tackle money and how you tackle your health and fitness are so in sync. And my philosophy in general with money is that we have to put changes in place that are sustainable long-term, that there is no such thing as crash dieting, that that kind of stuff usually doesn't work and you can yo-yo back and forth a lot. So like if you go to the extreme and get out of debt, you could actually find yourself right back in it very quickly because you can't live, however you did it, maybe you can't live that way long-term or you didn't actually you know, plan ahead properly, you know, you just focus so much on getting out of debt that then as soon as you got out of debt, something popped up and you didn't have the money for it. So it went on a credit card again, right? That is a big mistake that we see happen all the time with money. Um, and dieting and fitness and all of that is the same way, you know, making it so it's something you do every day, maybe it's five minutes a day, or even if you don't work out lifting heavy every day, maybe you just go for a walk and move your body or stretch or do yoga, you know, like every day paying attention to it in some way, you know, if you don't work out that day, maybe you just make sure you eat really healthy that day. So an understanding that it's a very balanced approach, that it's something you want to do for the longevity of your body and your health, but also your money. Um, I also think another commonality between the two is that, you know, the healthier we are, the more likely we are to accomplish other goals in our life, right? Like we feel more energetic, Absolutely. we feel more ambitious, we feel more organized and in control of all parts of our life. In other words, our health is a tool that helps us conquer other parts of our life. And I believe money is the exact same thing. So it's like the better we are with money, you know, money by itself isn't necessarily all it's cracked up to be. There's a lot of stories of people who have a lot of money, but they're miserable, right? The idea is that money, though, can encourage better habits throughout your life. You can use it as a tool to accomplish whatever goal you want. Maybe it's a cabin in the woods for me, right? Like, whatever that is, it can actually help you reach more fulfillment and satisfaction in your life in general. No, I, I couldn't have put it better. And I, and I love that. And money is just that. It, it is a tool. It's a means to an end. And a lot of times, it, it, especially when we struggle to figure out how to do it properly, it, it almost becomes so big that it seems like the end. And, it, you know, and that's when you know, it has a little bit too much control over the rest of the dynamic. And, and, and I also love the way that you frame it with health because you know, so much... I remember, uh, you know, in my brief stint as a personal trainer, talking really more about lifestyle and trying to move people away from diet and exercise because it's those are those two easy things that you zero in on. If I eat right, then you know all the dominoes fall into play. Or if I just work out a certain way and regimen, and then I'll, you know, every, instantly everybody will get a beach bod in you know two weeks or less and all the other fun stuff. But that you're right. That that is absolutely a recipe for failure because that's not that's not realistic. It's not about life. It's about living. And yeah. Style and I and I love how you put that. I think that's. Right. I 
I also say that we're personal trainers for your money, which is kind of an analogy that most people can understand because a lot of people are like, but what do you do as a financial coach? Like, what exactly do you do for somebody? And if you think about a personal trainer, they're going to one, make sure you show up for your training appointment, right? But then two, they're going to challenge you to do one more rep or add a little bit more weight or push yourself just a little bit more. And we do the exact same thing, but with money. So we're going to encourage you to find 20 more dollars to throw towards your goals or to um, put in a little bit more effort than what you wanted to put in that day. Or if your goal is to get out of debt by December, we're going to see what can we do to make it happen in November instead, right? So the analogy is exactly the same. And it's just something that's easier for people to understand when you talk about personal training versus somebody who helps you control your money, which you can't always see. And it's very abstract. Yeah. Well, let's, since you gave kind of a great analogy, can you talk about some of these components, um, you know, kind of what the basic framework looks like for you and, and kind of, you know, if somebody reaches out to you and whatever is going on in their financial world, how do you help somebody get started? The first thing that we do is a call with everybody. So it's a really easygoing conversation. We want to talk with you about exactly what you're experiencing with money, where you maybe feel like some of the lack of control is coming from or what your goals are. A lot of financial coaches have a specific focus. And so we want to make sure that we really can help you with whatever problem you're experiencing. And if we can't, we are probably going to refer you to another financial coach that we know of that maybe specializes in what you're tackling. But if it's something that we can help with, uh, really the main things that we help clients with is, um, you know, they don't have a plan in place with their money. So they've got money in their checking account, but they're sort of like winging it as far as like what they do with it. And they're like, should I be saving it? Should I be spending it? And if I save it, what do I save it for? And like, I want to take this vacation later in the year. And they sort of just wing that, like, I'll figure it out. Right. And we help people really with the planning ahead aspects of their spending, Um, and getting control over that, putting money behind your goals and, you know, all of that. So we always have a conversation first. The next session is um, what we call our Eureka session. It's a two hour long session. We're going to get a lot of prep work from the client ahead of time. So we're going to review everything that you've got going on before the session even starts. And we're going to identify like, here's some red flags. Here's some things that they're doing well. Here's what we like about your current system. Maybe here's some adjustments you can make. Um, those two hours are all about putting a plan in place around their goals. So if their goal is to get out of debt, if it's to save for an upcoming Disney vacation for the family, if it's to get a handle just on where the money's going, um, that's really what we use the two hour session for. Every client gets an action list. So it's like, here's exactly what you need to do at the end of this session. And then typically what we'll do is we'll follow up a few weeks later Uh, We call it the next steps conversation to see how those steps are going. Are you ready for more or are those steps that we gave you still overwhelming or maybe you haven't even put them into practice yet? We see both ends of that. We have some clients three weeks later, they've done everything on their list. And then we see some (laughs) clients that are like, yeah, I got distracted because then this happened or I got busy and you know, it gets pushed to the back burner. It's really normal for that to happen too. So um, after that, if they need more support or accountability, or if they want more challenges, they want more steps to come up with, with their money, then we offer a coaching program, which is usually anywhere from four to seven months long, just depends on the client and really how complex their income and expenses are. Um, You know, how many checking accounts do they have? What are their goals? Um, 
And when we do that, it really is, that's where more of like the personal training aspect of it comes in because every week we're going to be checking in with you of like, how did it go? What worked well? What didn't work well? And we're going to make adjustments just like a personal trainer might adjust your macros, let's say on how you're eating. We do the same thing, but with a budget. So, okay, you know what? You're spending money. You ran out on Thursday and it needed to last you till Sunday. Let's adjust that. You know what? These bills are actually coming in higher than what you thought. So let's go ahead and adjust that and tweak the whole plan overall. Or a lot of the times, hey, you're actually coming in way under budget. Let's throw some extra towards your goals. And we're doing that weekly to start because we're really trying to, again, flex the muscles. No, that's great. You know, um, and not even on your website, you know, one of the big things that you say is you help people see your money clearly. Yes. And, and I, again, I love that as well, because I think that, um, yeah, it, it is, it is very hard to put the financial pieces of the puzzle together for everybody. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell that's you, an empowering Brian, thing though. I'll yeah. tell you, I think this is kind of a soapbox that I get on, but I'll tell you, I think a lot of the tools that have been created have created this very reactionary approach to money. And it, I, it makes Completely me mad agree. because Completely people agree. look at things like mint.com or, you know, every dollar or some of these apps that are out there or software where you categorize how you spent your money after you've spent it. Right. And yep. what happens is you get to the end of the month and you find, okay, I went a hundred dollars over on eating out. Well, what can you do about it? It's way too late. You cannot do, you can't unspend that money. So I believe what happens is people just end up feeling more guilty. They're like, I went over. Now I know I went over, but I don't actually have any control to change it. And now I'm going to beat myself up over it. Right. So I actually think some of these tools that have been created actually perpetuate the problem of people being really reactionary with money. We um, designed what, what I call the plan ahead budgeting method. And it's all about planning your money into the future. And it, you don't have to be perfect. That's the one thing. If you've got a plan in place for the next two weeks, it's not going to go perfectly. It won't. But if you can plan for 75% of what's going to happen to you in the next three months, the other 25% is so much easier to tackle. Where right now, most people, 100% of what's coming up is reactionary. They don't have a plan in place for most of it, right? So everything they're responding to, where we don't need it to be perfect, but let's control what we can and then dedicate all that energy and time into the parts that we that surprise us or that are unknown or that kind of thing. And when you can see your money into the future, it's such a miraculous change that happens because you know, we always say, I just want you to see the impact of the decision you're about to make on your money. And then you can make the decision. This is not like, yes or no, I'm going to give you permission or I'm going to take permission away. That's not what this is about. But if you can see the impact of the decision you're about to make on your goals or on your finances or on your savings or something like that, most people are going to make the decision that moves them forward. Not, you know, they don't self-sabotage. And that's where a lot of that happens. They sabotage by accident. They don't even mean to do it. You know, so that's the plan ahead method. That's the concept behind it is seeing your money so clearly that you always know today what the right decision is for yourself. And I think that that's great. You know, I, in, the, in the advising world, I think so much, one of, the, one of the most important things that I try to talk to people about is, two sides of the same coin is, you know, I ask the question, what's this money for? Yes. Right. And, and, and then how, once you start to get the answer to that, how concrete you can make that. Cause the word retirement to the average person, regardless of how much money you have means nothing. 
I could say, hey, you want to go to the moon tomorrow? And that's as tangible as saying the word retirement, you know? But being yeah. able to, like you said, then really create a framework for seeing it, for defining it. To me, that is so empowering. And then it's much easier for me as a professional to help somebody line up a strategy to say, okay, now that we've really defined this in a meaningful way, mm -hmm. here's a way that you can try to approach it to give you a really good chance of succeeding. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's, yeah, the same well, I think, approach is really powerful. And I, I think one of the reasons that we work so well with advisors like you is because I don't want to do the really long-term strategy like you do, but also your inputs can only be as accurate as the client tells you. Right. And so Absolutely. if you tell a client, well, how much do you need per month in retirement or what, what's your lifestyle cost you? And they don't know the answer to that it affects all those projections, right? So let's yep. get really clear on what you want in your life and how much that life is going to cost you. Like, let's get really specific. That way, when you are giving them that clarity and that peace of mind on like, you're gonna be fine in retirement, we know that it is dialed in and as accurate as we can. There's always things we don't know. Like, you know, we're saying, you know, we can't plan for 25%, let's say. But how accurate are we? And we're, I just want us getting a little closer every year, finding out a little bit more and a little bit more and making it really dialed in. No, I love that. And, and having steps, you know, because mm -hmm. I, some of the things that I, you know, I kind of am almost envious professionally because, you know, I can set up a long-term saving strategy, but there's so much that still, I mean, even after a year, it's kind of hard to say, well, you know, since we're saving for 30 years, hold on, this, this may or may not look as good as you think, but, but yeah, it's, it, it is so important to have that, that way to see and move and benchmark so that way you can celebrate those wins and also adjust and correct course. Um, and, that's, and those are, I'm sure, important components as well. Like you're saying, I mean, from a weekly check-in to you know, four weeks, six weeks, whatever that is, I think the benchmarking and creating that framework for success and measurement are critical elements. I think too, a lot of people, when they first get on a budget, they want it to be perfect and go, you know, perfectly right away. And what I say is what we're doing is we're creating a baseline. And once we know the baseline, we can adjust up or we can adjust down, but we have to start with the baseline. And then once you get it really dialed in, your life will change. Your value system changes over time. Anybody who went from not having kids to having kids, it's a perfect example of like, your budget and what you care to have in your budget, what you care to spend money on is likely very different pre-kids and compared to after kids. And having a budget in place means that you know how to adjust or what to adjust. I'm gonna remove this expense, I'm gonna add this one, I'm gonna tweak this, I'm gonna you know, adjust over here. And it just gives you a sense of control versus like we were talking about just sort of winging it and hoping for the best. So what are, you know, if you had top three, top four kind of either mistakes or issues that people commonly come to you with, what would you say that they are? The first one, you know, I touched on a little bit, which is like using something where it's very reactionary, where they're simply tracking how they spend their money after the fact. Okay. okay. So that's mistake number one. It tends to have a very short lived benefit. So it might help you at first to gain awareness right? But then after that, it's like done. There's not much benefit, in my opinion, after that. Uh, the second one I would say is not planning ahead or putting some money in savings for what you have coming up. 
uh, before you pay down your credit card debt. This is a big one. So a lot of people, you know, they're like, well, I know that I want to go, you know, take a vacation two months from now to visit family, let's say, but that's two months from now. And I have got this balance on my credit card. I'm going to take everything out of my checking account today and pay off my credit card. Right. But then as soon as they want to take that trip, they now have to put those flights, let's say back on a credit card. And yep. that creates a very emotional roller coaster ride for people. It's not even just the financial impact of that, it's the emotional damage that that causes. So if I pay off my credit card today in full, but I don't leave myself any cushion, and then tomorrow my car breaks down, how am I gonna pay for that car repair? I'm gonna put it on a credit card. And emotionally what happens is, okay, I got this, I just paid off my credit card, go me, I'm so excited, I'm proud of myself. And then tomorrow I have to use my credit card again and I'm like, what, have, what is wrong with me? Why can't I get ahead? Why can't I figure this out? Like, and then you start to kind of throw your hands up in the air and say, forget it. I don't care anymore. I'm just never going to be good at this. Right. Yeah. So that mistake of not planning ahead, or, and I would say not being realistic with yourself, you know, it's okay. If you want to travel to go visit family, you know, like just be honest with yourself, even if you have credit card debt. So that, that sort of philosophy that's out there that like, you should never step foot in a restaurant if you have credit card debt. Sort of that, the third mistake is not putting systems in place that are sustainable. So you're on the wagon and then you're completely off the wagon. There is no balance. There's no you know middle ground there. To me, that's very damaging as well. I would rather have people say this, I could do this forever. I could, I'm making progress and I'm proud of making progress. And I'm happy and fulfilled with my life at the same time. To me, that's always the balance that we're going for. Um, and then the, the fourth thing that I would say is not being curious with money. So I, and I don't know where this comes from, Brian, but like people feel very embarrassed to ask questions around money or feel like they can't yeah admit that they don't know something. And I do believe that this is one thing that I always try to demonstrate and lead by example for my clients. I don't know everything about money either. And as soon as a client asks me something, I am absolutely okay saying, I don't know, but let's figure this out together. Let's dive in here. Where can we find the answer? And just kind of bring in that very inquisitive nature and be curious and say like, I want to be engaged in finding the answer to this. And whether it's right now or like five years from now, something else will pop up that you don't know the answer to with money. And I want you to be curious about that too. I want you asking your financial advisor <clears throat> questions. The best financial advisors want questions from their clients. They want to educate, they want to teach them. They want them to be engaged in their finances. I never want a client to say, I did that because Kelsa said to do it. And I'm sure you don't want anyone to say, well, Brian said I should do this. So I'm doing it, even though I don't understand it at all. Like we want them to be engaged. And for some reason, money just comes with a lot of shame or feelings of stupidity. And if anything, I think a lot of my clients really start to just feel really proud of what they don't know because they trust that they will find an answer eventually. And they're excited about that. Does that make sense? Oh, it, you you hit the nail on the head. And, and I, I say that a lot to my own clients. I said, you know, if, if our relationship goes down a path and it comes to the conclusion that you want to do something because I told you to, then I made a mistake as a professional because that's not how I want this to work. It is collaborative and it's about really making sure that you're engaging with that decision-making process for yourself. 
not so that you can go take some sort of a test and pass it or, or feel like you're, you know, we're not trying to create, um, you know, a system of making sure that everybody is now 100% financially equipped. It's, it's just about that, that engagement, that intentionality. And like you said, being, being able to really deal with the big barriers of emotional discomfort and yeah. the things that, you know, keep us from making the decisions we're trying to make. It's usually emotional. It's not intellectual. I mean, it, there's, there's yeah, part of that, totally. but yeah. And, and, and that's, and I, and I do, I love questions. I love, I love people that think outside the box. Um, I know in our practice, you know, um, while this, this is kind of a newer area in, in investing in wealth, but, you know, getting into things like social, socially responsible vesting or green or, just realizing that you don't have to have a cookie cutter approach to be successful and that you can actually, there's, there is a, a very helpful way and, and strategic way to do values-based investing or savings. And, you know, so there's yeah. back to that money is just a tool. It's so important that you align it to, I think the things that are important to you, because that's where that helps you stay as engaged Whereas if, if it's just something that is arbitrary and I kind of present it and you just say, okay, it's easier to step away and then you don't feel good about it because you never really understood why you did what you did in the first place. Well, and here's, here's why this is so important to really understand why you're doing something. So, you know, for all the listeners, this is why this is key is because if you understand, here's why this strategy works for me then when a family member or a coworker or a friend says they do it differently, you aren't doubting yourself. Because as soon as you hear somebody else is doing it a different way and you don't understand why the way you're doing it works for you, then you're going to be like, God, should I be doing it that way? God, why is that, am I doing it wrong? And that self-doubt around financial progress is incredibly damaging. Where I want you, and this is such a source of pride that I want people to have, which is like, I know you do it that way and that works for you and that is amazing. Here's why my way works for me and both are okay, right? Because we're different, our goals are different, our lifestyle is different, the amount of time and effort we want to put into managing our money is different, you know, all of those types of things. So understanding like why that strategy is the strategy that you've chosen is crucial to the pride you feel with your money in the future. Yeah, no, I, I call it the water cooler defense. <laughs> and I talk to my about this because that's, that's, you know, and the, that's where things happen. You, you've made this decision. You went through a process of evaluating things for yourself and you said yes to the thing that fit your life best. And then, you know, your friend, your coworker, whoever, all, you know, I heard this or I did this or, you know, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. And that is, that is so important. And, and, and that's the one thing that I hope everybody hears is that there is no one right way for everybody, but there is a right way for you. And yes. that's, that's what you need to, to find with the help of professionals like us. That's the path that you want to get on. What's the right way for you? Yeah. That you are empowered to, to make a good decision and understand why you made it. Yeah. And, and know the variables and know why you said yes to one thing, but maybe said no to some other things. Yeah. I don't know how I got so lucky, Brian, but my husband allows us to be guinea pigs a lot with, you know, somebody <laughs> will say, I'll be like, Hey, let's try this. I want to see how this works. I want to see what it feels like when it comes to certain strategies. And he just goes with the flow. I'm so lucky, but it's because when a client says to me, 
if I, let's say I recommend cash to somebody or I recommend, you know, some clients we do rewards credit cards for and other clients we don't, right? So there's all these strategies out there, but I want a client, if they say to me, well, do you do it this way? I want to be able to say yes or no. But if I say no, I want to say no, but I tried it and here's why that didn't work best for us. But here's why I think it's going to work better for you because of certain factors. And like I experiment all the time. Um, and like I said, luckily my husband's on board with that so that we can give that feedback to clients so that they don't have to experiment in order to learn. We're going to do that for them and sort of give them that feedback. That's great. Yeah. I, as much as I think we have that capacity in certain, in the investment arena, you're a little bit more restrictive, but, but to the yeah. point you made, you know, I've been intentional about going as far outside the box as we can as a practice, sure. not because everybody needs something that's way outside the box, but because I need to know what's out there. I need yeah, to know absolutely. what's available because if all the stuff that's in the box doesn't fit you, I want to be able to find that right thing or that right approach. So yeah. I, I love that. And, and I think that that's, that is certainly something that I think our clients value a lot because, you know, it's not just the same things that they might've heard from somebody on TV. That's, you know, we're, we're really trying to figure out, okay, in the wild, wild world of investing, which is massive or, or savings or whatever it is, let's find the stuff that you identify with the most and we can align it very, very personally. And it should be custom tailored. It, it's yeah, I, like, a, like a suit. And if it doesn't, we need, we need to do some alterations, right? You know? Yeah. I think the best coaches or experts like you, I think the best ones strike this great balance between never having a client do something that they're not comfortable with or that they don't understand or something, but also challenging them to try something new or say, I know you don't love this idea, but maybe the reason they don't want to do it is because they've got a block someplace. They've got some sort of generalization happening. Well, my mom did this. And so that's not going to work for me. And it's like, yeah, but we're going to make some adjustments there. Let me challenge you just a little bit to try it and making sure you're striking that balance. But one of the things I ask every client, especially at first is tell me what you're liking and tell me what you're not liking. Tell me the good and tell me the bad because we can't adjust it if you don't tell me the bad, right? And we can co-create anything that you want. This can look however you want it to look, but that feedback is crucial. And for some reason, you know, I think this is part of being engaged with your money. Some people I think don't know that they can tell you what they don't like or they wanna just like impress you and they wanna be like your star pupil or whatever. But being a star pupil is you being honest with me and me like really allowing me to help you. And you know, so that's why I always give permission at first. Tell me what you're not loving about this right now. Tell me what the hardest parts of this right now. Tell me the part that you're like, oh, like you do it, but you grind your teeth the whole time, right? Like tell me what those things are because it might just come with like one small adjustment or one small tweak that we need to make. And now you love it versus hating it, you know? No, I, I think that that's great. One of, one of the, the questions I ask everybody, and this is before they become a client, that because it's really important for me to hear things is what's the worst financial decision you feel you've made in your life and why? And we talk about that. Yeah. And, and, and why that's an important question. And then, you know, what it leads us to is, is it, it really highlights those, you know, emotional things, maybe a traumatic moment, maybe just a life experience that was very formative or impactful, but it also helps you see certain decision-making patterns that people just aren't so self-aware of, right? Why you say I didn't like this is as important as what you're saying you didn't like. 
Absolutely. And oh, being I love able that. to, you know, draw on both of those things to do what you were talking about, which is, you know, then be able to have those types of conversations and be comfortable enough to do that, to, to identify, hey, you know, I don't, I don't feel good about this, or I'm not so sure about this, or, you know, I, I think that that's really, really critical. And, you know, too many times I see, and, and this is not to, to kind of paint my side of the industry or the industry in general a certain way, but I think a lot of times people focus on uh, the more positive things or, you know, this rate of return and growth and this and that. And, and it seems like everything kind of lines up and works out. And it almost makes you, it, it makes you feel like you then can't question or doubt or wonder. And that's, that's totally okay. It's really important. Yeah. So, I think that that's after very one really good strategy or just really small thought process to have is after you've made a financial decision and it can be small, it can be big, maybe buying a new car that year, deciding to move houses, changing jobs, anything like that. Um, deciding if you want to put your kids in private school or public school, you know, any type of financial decision right after you make it, ask yourself, if I had to make this decision again tomorrow, what would I do the same and what would I do differently? And if you get into the practice of doing this, even when you've made good decisions, most people think you ask yourself these questions when you regret something or when you're having buyer's remorse or you're like kicking yourself. But it's equally as important to ask yourself, what would I do the same and what would I do differently after even the good decisions? Because that's how the next time it comes up and it might be a couple of factors are different or it's similar, but not quite the same. You actually have more tools in your toolbox to make that decision a good way. I love that. I'm, I'm, I might have to borrow that. You didn't trademark it, did you? You can, can, no, it's all yours. Awesome. <laughs> oh, perfect. Um, man, I, I feel like we could keep going for a long time, but I want to, I want to kind of, uh, let you go on to, I know what is a busy rest of your day. How can somebody get a hold of you? Because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to hear this and going to probably want to talk to you. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? The best way, you can go to our website. You can find our phone number, email address, contact form, everything like that. Fiscal Fitness Phoenix. So if you just search that, it's pretty easy to find. Um, we've got a podcast, which is the Fiscal Fitness Podcast. So if you just really enjoyed the conversation and, you know, it's resonating with you and you've got some great takeaways there's even more on the fiscal fitness podcast um we've got a facebook group we you know have an office with a team of people so we're, we're here to help you in whatever way that's possible awesome well thank you i, I imagine i'm gonna you're gonna be a repeat guest so I would love uh, i'm gonna say this thank you and to be continued yes i love that thanks for having me brian awesome thanks kelsa Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at The Haney Company. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. 
The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC.